everybody, welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Seth. And I'm Zach. And we are the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right, we are the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right. A special uh, thank you to our guests, Denny and Lester, uh, for yeah. coming on from Possum House Games. If you haven't heard, you could go back to last Wednesday to uh, hear the episode that they were on. Anyway, Zach, what have you been uh, recently been playing? Seth, recently I have been playing Zero Tolerance, which is a game developed originally by Technopop and published by accolade in 1994 for the sega genesis uh zero tolerance is one of the very few first person shooters available on the sega genesis which is pretty cool so the sega genesis is uh, a 16-bit console and first person shooters uh tended to not run very well on 16-bit consoles case in point if you've ever played the wolfenstein port on the uh super nintendo or the doom port on the super nintendo those games run very bad but the uh, Sega Genesis does have a, a handful of first-person shooters. There's uh, Bloodshot, as well as a port of Duke Nukem 3D that was made by Tech Toy, and Zero Tolerance. In Zero Tolerance, you play as uh, a member of an elite strike force known as Zero Tolerance. <laughs> it's just a fun name for a strike force. It is. It is. They have a they have zero zero tolerance toward any crime. They work with the Dare Squad. Yes. Yes. In the game, you are actually called in to just like kill some dudes and some aliens that are attacking a spaceship literally the first level is you walk around finding all the enemies and just murdering them and then you get a message all the enemies are gone proceed to the next level and you repeat the process you don't collect any keys you don't collect any you know there's no scenario you just blap blapping away the game is pretty good though you would have to kind of get over the quality of the graphics which are certainly impressive for the day but not so impressive looking back at it right (laughs) that day that it was impressive was 1994 (laughs) yes so pretty much the entire field of view of your character is in a small square that's in the center of the game and you have this giant hud that takes up the rest of your view which includes like a passport photo of your player character with their signature written on it and like their height and weight and date of birth that wasn't like unique to that game though no it wasn't it wasn't like that was like a thing first person games had these massive huds because the game's graphics are not great it's hard to identify where the enemies are on the screen and there is a map that will let you know um a small red dot will appear when an enemy gets close to you so you at least have kind of an idea that there is an enemy in front of you when like three pixels are standing in the distance and your health is going down suddenly i don't know if i can recommend it to people who aren't big classic first person shooter fans like i am but if you are really into like doom or wolfenstein give zero tolerance a chance Uh, if you can. And another thing real quick with Zero Tolerance is that it's kind of unique in that if your character dies, you don't get another life. What happens is you go back to the roster of five available characters and you just pick someone else and the character you just played as has a stamp on them that says deceased. Um, And when you start up the level playing as a new character, you don't need to start from the beginning. All of the enemies that you've killed are still dead. The enemies that you haven't killed are obviously still alive. But it just means that you don't have to repeat the process of like killing off the whole first floor before going to the second floor unless you get a game over completely. That's pretty fun. I I like that. Uh, But what about you, Seth? What have you been recently playing? Uh, So recently I've been playing Sherlock Holmes Chapter One. 
Sherlock Holmes Chapter 1 is Frogware's very new game. It came out in November of 2021, which was just the preceding year to this episode. And I've bought and played a number of Frogware Sherlock Holmes games, and I, I like them. It's why I buy them and play them. So, of course, I bought this one. However, this one is different because it's an open world game. Ooh. Which actually made me really tentative about buying it and whether or not I was actually going to buy it. So here's the issue that I have, and this is my personal opinion. I think Frogware writes really good games story-wise. However, once you step outside that story and you enter their combat, it kind of goes downhill from there. And I feel like outside of the structured story, Frogware kind of gets a little lazy. So my concern was it being an open world game, that there would be a lot more of those type of things outside of the structured story that there would have been in a uh, like a linear adventure game. It has been rated pretty highly and has mostly positive reviews on Steam. So I ended up deciding that it, it was time for me to uh, try and play it. And I've been enjoying it so far. I'm pretty much still in the tutorial of it. I haven't gotten to like the main open world portion of the game. However, it's already like there's a part of me that's like, this is good. And a part of me that's it's like, there is just too much open worldness. This will be something that will make you laugh, I think. Um, you start off at a hotel, and the hotel is very large. But you know how it feels like I'm on the Titanic in Titanic Adventure Out of Time, where there is a pile of people and you can't interact with them. And they're just All like right. set, they're like <laughs> set dressing. So it kind of feels a little like that. And the hotel feels inordinately big. So like you go down to the bar and it's like this massive room, but I feel like it could be half the size and feel more realistic. I know it's supposed to be like an opulent hotel, but it is like, I've been to opulent mansions in real life and there has not been this much dead space in these opulent mansions like i've been to the biltmore mansion that's like 200,000 square feet in Asheville, carolina i've been to highclere castle where downton abbey is filmed so like i have seen large estates and large buildings this this hotel has more dead space than those buildings it's also a nitpick of mine when you have an open world game and there are characters in the open world but you can't interact with them as you're mentioning so like in most open world games i would say in a majority of them you can at least kind of get the characters to interact with you be it maybe they'll just be like what do you want and then they don't say anything else in gta if you like bump into a guy he might like pull out a gun <laughs> or like right. in skyrim if you like go up to a guy and just chat with them they'll have like a line of dialogue but they're not going to like fill you in their life story i just like but there's been some games that i play that are open world and you walk up to a person and you like interact with them and they just stare at you with like death eyes right it's like the titanic game yeah <laughs> they just spit around in you and stare at you so my my point is just like great i'm glad that you made this an open world game and I, i'm glad that you made me the choices that i can kind of go about and solve the different cases like that kind of excites me like playing a sherlock holmes games where i operate out of like 221 baker street and i can decide to do whatever case yeah. i want to do at the time but if the NPC is not going to do anything, don't bother putting it in. Like, if it's not going to talk to me, like, who cares? Like, I don't care about this NPC. Are you just trying to show game density? And I'm not talking about crowds. Like, I think that there's a reason to have, like, in games like Hitman or Assassin's Creed, where you have, like, NPCs creating a crowd effect. I think looking at that type of situation, you can look at the crowd as, like, one NPC. Which, in real life, that's kind of, like, what a crowd 
crowd is. It's really just like one new organism. Yeah. Yeah. We're all like amoebas. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I think that if you have just like NPCs that are like just space sporadically where in like a room that you're like, this is just weird. Like this, this room could have just been shrunk in half and it still would have been as opulent and just made more sense. Also, my little nitpick is that Sherlock Holmes, when he walks upstairs, he walks up them like they're a slide. <laughs> good so his feet go like on an angle on the the empty space between the two what is it the the run as it were the run of the stairs he like slides up like a creepy guy uh up the stairs i saw that like as i was playing i was like this game came out literally two months ago you can't make it look like he's walking upstairs so yeah i've been playing sherlock holmes chapter one i've put about i want to say almost two hours into it i've been told that it's about a 40 to 50 hour video game so the game's got plenty of hours to prove to me that it's a uh, good i'm looking forward to more of the story content than the the game gameplay as it were well today uh we are talking about a pretty great series a series that i personally love and that series is age of empires Uh, so zach do you have any memories of age of empires my memories of age of empires all come from age of empires 2 which uh in today's episode we're focusing primarily on age of empires 1 me and my friends got into playing age of empires 2 in college uh, or rather toward the end of high school and then into college we played a lot of it and uh we would often play with each other against a hard level cpu and try to find ways to survive most of the time it involved us building these massive empires and then watching them slowly crumble as the cpu sends every single unit that it has into our base in a single line and then flooding our base with their units so those are always fun memories but i haven't actually played too much of the original age of empires mostly just because all my friends were playing age of empires too so i was like yeah i'll play that i think i own the original age of empires i just haven't played a lot of it uh what about you seth um most of my memories come from the most recent version since i just bought the age of empires 4 and i've been going through it a little bit i'm aware of it like i knew of its existence i had friends who really enjoyed playing age of empires i also would get it regularly confused with the game empire earth which is not age of empires but is also an rts that came out around the same period of time or it at least existed concurrently with (laughs) age of empires yeah i think age of empires was first but like there's a whole bunch of games that came out around that time that certainly weren't inspired by age of empires so I, I was familiar, especially the Empire Earth logo kind of would go into my head when somebody was like, yes, do you like to play Age of Empires? I would think about Empire Earth and I would go, yes, because Empire Earth has like progression to where you can get like modern day technology. You can get more than modern. You can get mechs. Yeah, you get mechs, right? Yeah. And Empire Earth where Age of Empires stays predominantly in what the like olden times. Yes. But Empire Earth starts off in olden times. It has a larger tech tree basically yeah um age of empires tech tree is very limited and we'll talk about what we mean by like tech tree and how age of empires works but yeah in age of empires the tech tree is much more confined than what empire earth or even games like rise of nations um allows for i mean in rise of nations you can build icbms yeah it's a, i just have like whenever i think of age of empires i just have like a vision of like a fortress being besieged by cannons and then i was like that's not it i have since played some age of empires and i know that my friends were actually interested in age of empires i was just confused as a child however i i have done some research so i i i will be able to 
convey accurate information in this episode. Age of Empires was the first game by a company called Ensemble Studios. Ensemble Studios was founded by Tony Goodman in 1994, and its name came from a consulting firm that Goodman started in 1989. The consulting firm created its own management and reporting software called Command Center. And while Goodman was in charge of the company, the company grew quickly, hiring more than 100 employees between the years 1992 and 1994. Inc. Magazine rated the company as number 339 in their list of 500 fastest growing companies in 1997, before it was acquired by U.S. Web Corporation the following year. So, 1994, Goodman created Ensemble Studios as part of a side project, and it officially became incorporated in 1996, as it sounds like it became his primary project. Actually, he did not include it in the contract for Ensemble Corporation. So when Ensemble Corporation was purchased by US Web, Ensemble Studios went its own way. And the company was co-founded by Goodman's brother, Rick Goodman, and a guy by the name of John Scott. After the company became incorporated, they hired Bruce Shelley, board and video game designer. Shelley had previously worked with the board game company Avalon Hill, and he designed many games for them, including 1830 the game of railroads and robber barons that sounds like a game that has a lot of like tokens and like hard to discern things because that's my experience with avalon hill games it's like you open a box and it's filled with like a book some paper a pencil and these cardboard tokens that just have numbers on them by 1988 shelley had actually moved into the growing market of video games uh, mostly because he had this kind of personal realization that less and less people were buying board games which at the time in the 1980s was true you know i think less people buy board games than they might have 30 or 40 years ago than they do now but it is kind of a growing market i would say um that's kind of a renewed interest when he left avalon hill he started working for microprose with sid meyer shelley would soon become one of meyer's direct assistants to designing new video games one of the first games they collaborated on was railroad tycoon and then the two would work together to create civilization just two massive games off the bat i also like that the board game that he worked designed was 1830 the game of railroads and robber barons and then he went to go on to make Railroad Tycoon. Yes, that Sid is Myers. good as well. Yeah. <laughs> Sid's like, what are, you, what are your specialties? He's like, well, I'm really good at railroads. <laughs> well, I'm working on a game, Railroad Tycoon. I need someone who's good with railroads. Sid, I like trains and war. <laughs> well, have I got <laughs> two games that you'll love? Shelley left Microprose in 1992 due to issues that he had with Microprose's company Atmosphere at the time. Shelley later arrived to work at Ensemble Studios after he quit Microprose. Uh, and he came with a ton of fresh ideas. Many of the ideas that he had while working on games like Civilization for Microprose. And he actually used some of these ideas to come up with the development of what would become Age of Empires. Now, Shelley would actually lead the design on this project, with Tony Goodman taking on the role of developing the game's artwork. Another ensemble staff member, Dave Potinger, worked on the game's artificial intelligence. Another uh, employee, Stephen Rippey, worked as the music director, where he created original music using the sounds of various instruments from the time periods in those games. 
Rippy was also inspired by the research that he was doing into the various cultures and styles that you see in the game. And that's why he would actually go through and find like the original instruments and stuff to create the music. Together, the team created the Genie Engine, uh, which would go on to not only be used for Age of Empires, but also its sequel and some spinoffs. And the Genie Engine was also the inspiration to engines that were used for games like Empire Earth, Czar, Burden of the Crown, and Rise of Nations. This is why I get confused. Now, Age of Empires is a real-time strategy that's similar to previous games we've discussed in this genre, like Warcraft or Starcraft. However, unlike Warcraft and Starcraft, Age of Empires is set in the real world and features real civilizations that actually existed, unlike orcs and space marines. To make a point, Starcraft is a yet unrealized future. Fair enough. Age of Empires set in the real world. In the game, the players start from a group of hunters and gatherers and slowly work their way up to the Iron Age. Uh, And to do this, players must gather uh, various resources such as food, lumber, stone, and gold. They also must protect themselves from other civilizations who are equally trying to work their way up to the Iron Age. You could play as 12 different civilizations, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, uh, the Chozon, the Egyptians, the Greeks, the Hittites, the Minoans, the Persians, the Phoenicians, the Shang, which are named after the Shang Dynasty, the Sumerians, or the Yamato, which are named after the Yamato Dynasty of Japan, which existed from 250 to 710 AD. I am getting better memories of this game. I remember playing as the Phoenicians. Oh, yes. And I think they have a yellow theme to their coloring because I always like Phoenicians because Phoenicians are very good at boats. Yes, yeah. Boats are always the key to victory. Phoenicians are like my like top tier ancient civilization that I like the most. Do you have like a favorite civilization that you like the most from ancient civilizations that are no longer with us? Uh, I like ancient Egyptian stuff. I think that's always cool. I think playing as the Egyptians in Age of Empires is very fun, but personally my favorite civilization to play is in Age of Empires 2 where you can play as Vikings and they are also very good at boats. They are. Vikings, I would say, could go toe-to-toe with Phoenicians. So I feel like Phoenicians are very good at merchant boats boats like they're gonna come and sell you some stuff vikings are very good at killing boats yes they're gonna come and invade you and i i'm, I'm just saying that as real life not necessarily related to age of empires oh no age of empires too <laughs> yeah there was also an expansion pack called the rise of rome which added four additional civilizations the romans the carthaginians the palmerans and the macedonians macedonians are always fun too because with macedon you get elephants do you get elephants in age of empires for macedon uh i know the persians have them the persians do have them well carthaginians for sure have them right yes i think the persian elephants are the fastest though i think macedonians show should have mastodons that would be fun (laughs) i don't think that's where the name comes from i don't think it is where it comes from either but i think a macedonian riding a mastodon would be fun a macedonian mastodon now all of the civilizations in the game have various perks or disadvantages to them uh meaning each one plays different so you're not just playing like a reskinned version of a different civilization matter who you choose Uh, for example the greeks can build ships that move 20 percent faster but are missing specific research like metallurgy and broadswords egyptians can mine gold 20 percent faster but can't build specific siege craft so when you're picking your civilization you might have to read through a few of the perks and 
disadvantages to kind of weigh how you're going to play the character and also how you're going to play the civilization. And also if you know who you're going against, you might want to weigh the perks against the disadvantages of the opposing civilization. Each civilization also has a variety of units that aid in defending or attacking your enemy. So for example, swordsmen, archers, mounted cavalry, siege weapons, those are all kind of the base units that most civilizations all have. Some civilizations also have unique units such as mounted elephants or um, different type of siege craft or different type of boats and stuff like that that other units might not have. The Romans have their... Um... Praetorians, I believe. Yeah, the Romans have Praetorians. So it's, you know, each civilization has its own unique units as well as kind of just the base standard units. You can also train monks and priests. Uh, these are special units that can convert enemy units to fight for your team. And when they do this, they play a weird like whoa noise will essentially turn the enemy units into your player characters that you can now control for the rest of the game it's not like a temporary conversion it's a permanent conversion i think my friend who played a lot of age of empires was very good at doing like a priest strategy Uh where the bulk of his force was just conversion people and when they he attacked he would win by converting the enemies versus uh actually just killing them now in the single player for the game there is uh campaigns that you can do uh each campaign and there are four of them follow various histories of the civilizations that you're playing so there's uh, an egyptians one a greeks one a babylonians one and a yamato dynasty campaign there's also a separate campaign exclusive to the demo of age of empires for the hittite empire which i think is fun is that like the demo had its own unique campaign that you don't actually get in the final game Uh, i think you have to like alter the code of the game and you can unlock the 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 demo campaign but it's not like there's no like way to unlock it normally Uh, apart from the single player there's also multiplayer modes such as deathmatch where multiple players will go against each other on this one massive map while some of the campaigns have specific scenarios to win Most games can be won via a variety of methods. Uh, The primary method that you will probably employ is wiping out the enemy or being wiped out yourself. That's how the game ends. Though there is another way, which is the construction of a wonder. Wonders are massive monuments, and each civilization has its own specific wonder. So for example, the Egyptians have the pyramids, the Romans have the Colosseum, the Babylonians have the Hanging Gardens. Now these wonders take up massive amounts of resources, and they also are the slowest buildings to construct. Besides what they will do in terms of winning the game, they don't do anything else. Like you click on a wonder and there's no like, can't construct special units with it. There's no research you can do with it. It's literally just there to be there and to kind of look pretty. However, if you can keep that wonder constructed for 10 minutes real time, you will win a standard victory. Doesn't matter if there are still enemies left on the board, you will win if that wonder stays up for 10 minutes. Players can of course change these rules using custom game settings. So you can build your own game using you know your own rules you can set the amount of units stuff like that you can disable or enable the wonder victory Uh, there's all different stuff you can do it's a very customizable game which i think leads to its popularity beyond the multiplayer and beyond the single player there's also a scenario builder which allows you to create your own scenarios and this was also kind of a unique way for players to get more engaged in the overall design of the game they were able to really create a sandbox for themselves and build the game and 
make scenarios in the game that they wanted to see play out. Well, how did Age of Empires do? Age of Empires was released in October of 1997, and in that month, they were the seventh most bought game, which was really hitting the market pretty strong, at least for an RTS game. This ranking would drop down to about 13th during December, which makes sense because by the end of the year, you get another kind of large drop of new video games. So that's going to jostle any positioning that any game would have. However, in those three short months from October to December in 1997, it sold 178,000 units, which equated to over $8 million in revenue for the company. The sales would end up in the first year, beat out the combined sales for the competition. And at that time, in 1997, the competition would have been Dark Rain, and that's rain like a ruler reigns over something, not rain that comes from the sky, and a game called Total Annihilation, two other RTS games. Dark Rain was similar to Command and Conquer, though a little more sci-fi, and Total Annihilation was another different-looking sci-fi game. Fans of those games will probably yell at us, and maybe we'll do an episode on them later. But Age of Empires would beat out both of their sales, so there are more Age of Empires fans out there than both of their. Age of Empires' success was not just domestic. Microsoft, the publisher, would go on and ship the game to 55 additional countries, where by December 12th of 19. 1997, there would have been 650,000 copies sold globally. Now, the game would not only become a top-selling game in the United States, it would go on to become a top-selling game in France, Germany, and the United Kingdom through the year of 1998. I think we've mentioned this before. The German market loves real-time strategies. Age of Empires was the number one game in Germany in the month of its release and would remain a top three video game in Germany. Germany all the way through March 1998. It would end up getting a gold and a platinum rating, which is equal to 100,000 and 200,000 of sales, um, which they were awarded by the VUD or now. I apologize to any of our German listeners. Verband der Unterhaltungssoftware Deutschland. By the end of the year 2000, Age of Empires, the original, would have sold 3 million copies worldwide and grossed $120 million in sales. It was very successful, especially for an RTS game. And as mentioned prior, an expansion pack of the game was released. This expansion pack, The Rise of Rome, hit store shelves in October of 19. According to Microsoft, the demo alone received 1 million downloads by April of 1999 from their official website, and another 350,000 downloads from CNET. Sales of Rise of Rome reached 1.2 million copies by June of 2001. A sequel, Age of Empires II, The Age of Kings, was released in September of 1999. The sequel was also powered by the Genie Engine and features additional civilizations and various quality of life updates. The sequel ended up selling 2 million copies in the first three months it was released and top sales in seven countries around the world. The sequel also had various expansion packs, such as The Conquerors in 2000 and three official expansion packs for the HD edition of the game, The Forgotten in 2013, the African Kingdoms in 2015, and the Rise of the Rajas in 2016. These various expansion packs added various new civilizations, new maps, new campaigns. There were also two expansion packs released for the definitive edition of Age of Empires, Lord of the West 
in January of 2021 and Dawn of the Dukes in August of 2021. Also, in 2001, Star Wars Galactic Battlegrounds came out, which is a great game and kind of a spin-off of Age of Empires. It was created by Ensemble Studios, but it's a uh, real-time strategy built in the Genie engine that is set in the Star Wars universe. Also has a expansion pack, the Clone Campaigns. Uh, another sequel, Age of Empires 3, released in 2005. This sequel features European colonization of Americas and has a campaign set between 1492 and 1876 AD. It's also the first game to be entirely in 3D. In its original release, the game saw two expansions, the War Chiefs in 2006 and the Asian Dynasties in 2007. Which leads us to 2021. Age of Empires 4 was just released in October of 2021. It features four campaigns set during the early Middle Ages to high Middle Ages. As of release, there are eight civilizations to play as, which include the English, the Chinese, the Mongols, the Delhi Sultanate, the French, the Abbasid Empire, and the Holy Roman Empire, and the Rus, which I believe is the Russians. Yeah, it's like pre-Russia Russians. Uh, outside the numbered games, there are also spin-offs such as Age of Mythologies, which was the take of the same gameplay, but introduced various mythological elements such as gods and monsters. There have also been, as alluded to, various HD and definitive editions for the first three Age of Empires games. These have been included to uh, update the AI, improve pathfinding, and of course, update graphics so they can be displayed on monitor displays. I think the best thing I've seen is someone with a massive wraparound screen like one of those 4k ridiculous aspect ratio and having age of empires running on it perfectly <laughs> and like it stretching to fit the the boundaries of the monitor the updated ai and the proof pathfinding is so important to the hd editions and the definitive editions let me say the ai in age of empires 2 it is broken one way you can easily confuse the enemy ai and how me and my friends would often cheat going against massive difficult ais was you build a wall and then you have one of your buddies build a wall next to your wall and then you build a wall next to their wall and you have this kind of like sandwich of three walls and the ai has no idea how to respond and often the ai would just kind of pull up outside of one of the walls and not attack and just sit there and that was how we would cheat going against some of the more difficult ais we've gone against but the updated ai does know to attack all of the walls they just they just plow through though there is a setting to enable the original ai if you really want to experience kind of the uh broken of that old enemy AI. Now, uh, that's Age of Empires. Are you ready to get into our bwoopa? I am ready to get into the bwoopa. Would you like me to go first? Uh, you can go first. Let me, uh, let me start paying attention. I make that joke a lot that I don't pay attention. It's not really a joke if it's true. So this is a, a new game coming out taking place in a, a far future. Uh, this is a time where, from the images that we see in the game, society has collapsed completely. Buildings are now being overtaken by nature. Cars are rusting away, left abandoned. People are gone. This is a timeline now where humans have ceased to be. Evil is, is lurking through the lands, looking to destroy, and you play as potentially one of the most powerful beings in the known universe, a, a soldier who has dedicated his life to stopping evil, um, often with the help of people that have once been villains to him, sometimes, you know, serving as contrarians in terms of their beliefs, but sometimes they team up to stop these villains together. Um, are you curious about this game? Yes. This game is Kirby in the Forgotten Land. Oh, <laughs> you, you describe games very funny. Well, we're going to do some research here.
All right, we're back. Uh, yeah, so it's a, it's a Kirby game that's coming out March of, of this year. Uh, it's going to be for the Switch. Looks like an open world game with Kirby, which seems like a lot of fun. I really enjoy the, the Kirby games from the SNES era. So it's actually something that I probably am going to buy this game because... So the Nintendo Switch is actually one of my first Nintendo consoles that I've actually ever like owned myself we had a nintendo entertainment system which would probably be the my very very first nintendo game system i guess what i'm saying is maybe it's not my first game console but i i feel like as it's my first game console that as an adult i can just buy games willy-nilly so maybe i'll pick this up i haven't really owned a kirby game but i like them so i'll probably buy it that okay. sounds good cool 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 are you ready this game you're going to need to have a lot of skill to be able to even play it it's set in the future and you're trapped and you need to escape by blasting your way out of a facility okay the game will have single player and multiplayer I like those things. And it will be a first-person perspective. There may also be some parkour. What is this game? The game is Carlson. Oh, I've heard of this game. All right, we'll be right back as Zach does a little more research. And we're back. Carlson is a game that I I think Seth might have cheated because I already have this game on my wish list. I picked it out before I saw that you wished for it. Okay, fair enough. Uh, But Carlson is a game being developed and published by, uh, just as Danny. I don't know if that is their name or the company's name. This game is uh, due to be released, quote unquote, coming soon. I don't know when exactly that would be, but um, it does look like a fast paced shooter of sorts. So it's not really like... A traditional shooter like you would get from Doom. What it is is kind of like it reminds me a lot of Cube, which is a first-person puzzle game where you have to use these special gloves to manipulate the world around you so that you can solve uh, various puzzles. This game, however, instead of special gloves, you have a shotgun uh, and you can shoot a floor and go flying through the air, and you have to kind of like time your shots so that you can get up through certain areas and stuff like that. I like the fast-paced puzzle. Uh, dynamic that it, it's putting out so i think i'll put this game down as a buy again it is on my wish list so i already was interested in this game and i'm glad seth reminded me of this game because i actually did kind of forget about it but it's uh, a game that looks exciting and i can't wait to see what more about it comes out in the time ahead again it doesn't have a dedicated uh release date yet just as date coming soon so i guess we will see we will see Coming soon for you, dear listener, is another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers, which will come out next Sunday. And you can listen to it on any podcasting application that's available. And if you wish to talk to us about that episode, you can send us an email, which is at classicgamingbrothers at gmail.com. And if you wanted to know more about episodes coming out you could also follow us on social media which is our facebook is classic gaming brothers our instagram is classic gaming brothers our twitch is classic gaming brothers and our twitter is cg brothers pod and always we we just like it if you can listen to the episode and give us a rating on any podcasting application that you find us on because ratings are good and ratings help the algorithm and more people will find us and that's how things go am i forgetting anything don't play games like my brother and don't play games like my brother i've been zach and i've been seth and we have been the classic gaming brothers that's That's 